Activia offers a range of yogurts which are a delicious way to look after your gut health. From the fruit range with carefully selected ingredients to no added sugar and 0% fat offering, as well as a cereals range, there's an Activia for everyone. Made with a unique blend of five ferments creating an irresistibly creamy texture, each pot of Activia is a source of calcium, making it the perfect addition to your daily routine. Activia helps support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. This is an Irish independent podcast. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, on this week's episode, we're talking about ADHD, or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. While we do hear about children getting diagnosed, what about getting a diagnosis as an adult? This week, I'm joined by former radio presenter at 2FM, writer and broadcaster Keith Walsh, who was told he had ADHD only this year. Keith, thank you for coming in. Well, thanks for having me in, Carl. It's a pleasure to be here. So, <laughs> only told this year. Yeah, yeah. Like 40, Big shock. 49 years of age. Um, I don't know if I describe it as a shock because it's kind of like there wasn't like a moment where I went like, oh my, like I didn't get a diagnosis and have no clue kind of, do you know, you know the way if you go into a doctor and he's something serious to tell you and you didn't no idea what it was. Um, uh, I suppose I'd been, you know, sort of thinking about it, looking into it. And um, so there was no kind of shock moment. And maybe it's an ongoing thing because I'm still getting used to it. I'm still trying to figure it out. It's still very much the front of my my mind, the front of my brain, which doesn't work properly. Um, and I'm still getting used to things like lifestyle changes, medication, you know, does that work? What you know, what's the combination? What changes do I need to make to my what I'm doing already and how do I introduce medication and how does it work? So it's all still very new to me, you know, and, and I will say at this point, I'm no expert. So if anybody's, you know, tuning in, you know, hoping to hear an expert, this is literally just my experience so far and I'm still learning. And as 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 uh, as it would be with a person with ADHD, I'm hyper focusing on it at the moment. Uh, so I'm reading all the books, but I'm still like uh, still very much learning. And it's an ongoing thing with even with science and the doctors and psychiatrists, they're still learning as well, you know. And before we get stuck into the chat, you know, we're going to chat through your childhood and whether you saw signs as a child. But tell people in normal terms what it actually is. Well, this is the way I understand it. It's um, first of all, there's we don't produce as much dopamine as other people. So there's a lack of dopamine there. So we're constantly looking for dopamine. So we're constantly looking for something that will give us that dopamine hit. Now, you can get that from exercise. You can get that from, you know, I, I went through a phase where I was, you know, kind of addicted to exercise, the gym, running, all that kind of stuff. I went so far as to, I'm actually a trained personal trainer. <laughs> I forgot about that. I actually. went to college. You did, I remember this for years ago when you are on radio. I remember you went to college to do it. That's right. Oh, my God. OK, yeah. I got go so into it, you know what I mean? And that's how we hyper focus. Um, but that's that's the dopamine thing. So, so it could be anything like your phone. Uh, people have elements of it nowadays, I think, you know, because we're all sort of looking for that dopamine hit and, you know, it's a crazy world and there's so much and, and phones are drawing us in all the time and we feel that dopamine hit. Uh, but with ADHD, it's all the time. So trying to work your, your, if you're not interested in the work you're doing, it's a real chore to get something done, something finished, to not procrastinate, to get on with it, to start the job even, you know. Um, so that's a, a dopamine problem. And then there's an issue with, 
I'm not really going to know the technical terms, but like, is it the hippocampus, like the front part of your brain? I think this, I describe it as like the office. So the front part of my brain is my office, right? So that sort of organizes everything. And then the back part of my brain like does every, all the doing. And there's a disconnect between those two things. So like the office isn't connecting with the doing thing and things aren't getting done, you know, um, the files aren't being sent properly or they're corrupt or whatever. Um, and that's kind of how I uh, think of it. Um, and that's probably is my, the best description I can give you. And looking back now, do you see traits of it as you were growing up? Yeah, like, I mean, I obviously so I should tell you, I my son got a diagnosis. And that's why I started looking into it, because because my wife was like, well, that's you as well. You're the same. You're the same people. Um, and his, you know, his it was his issues with school that led us to look into it. And when I now like this is all retrospectively. And, and of course, when I look back at school. Like I was OK up until a certain age, but I but I think around fourth class, fifth class, I really just couldn't. I, I, I don't know how to describe it, couldn't focus, I suppose. I had no interest in what I was learning, the way it was being taught, I suppose. Uh, like primary school in the 80s wasn't the most sort of, you know, if you're looking for dopamine, you're not going to get it, you know, with a, with a Christian brother standing at the top of the class telling you about Irish, you know. So um, I tuned out and I lost interest uh, and kind of became the class clown then, you know, looking for a buzz, even the, if the buzz was getting in trouble. That was better than the boredom of being in class and that kind of progressed like I couldn't really into first year, second year, third year, probably just got by on, you know, I'm, I'm probably clever enough. So I, I managed to get by, but I just couldn't get my head around study or how that worked or um, there was one teacher I remember and it stands out to me now and, and, and I can see it, an English teacher and he was a poet and he was a performer like so he'd come in and he'd he'd perform. Uh, Merchant of Venice and we'd get us all standing up and you know uh, and taking parts and all and I loved that class and it really like I really learned in that class so he taught me um, uh, Shakespeare and then we had like uh, Huckleberry Finn I think was a book we did and all this kind of stuff I remember all of the stuff that he taught me because he was I was getting the dopamine hit in that class so I looked forward to that class I enjoyed it I enjoyed being involved Um other classes, not so much. Uh, and, and I just, I suppose my reports were like, you know, could do better, needs to focus, uh, isn't applying himself, uh, is lazy, talkative, messes too much, all that kind of stuff. And these are all things, if anybody is listening who has ADHD or knows someone with ADHD, these are the things that will appear in report cards of a child or an adult uh, who has ADHD. Um, so, and, and then I did transition year, which I loved. Because it was practical stuff like we did everything from like back to doing drama, horticulture. We did photography. We were out and about we'd field trips. We were we went to the Gaeltacht for a week, you know, so I, I actually like my, even my Irish improved. I had no interest in the classroom, but I, I used to I used to love going to the Gaeltacht. I think I went there like three years in a row and I loved learning like that, like with people chatting, all that kind of stuff. So there's there's definitely signs looking back on it now. Um, and also, I should add, and I don't want to hang my uh, my sisters, but I was probably quite I mean, there's a there's a an interesting thing about the hyperactivity thing. Um, it's not necessarily like people say to me, you seem very calm, like you're not hyperactive. It's a hyperactive mind mm -hmm. and it can be physical and sometimes it can be physical, but sometimes and with me, it's a hyperactive mind. So I overthink everything. I've got constantly just this, you know, narrative going on uh, all the time. And my, my mind just goes off on 
different tangents and from that tangent goes to a different tangent. It's just constant, you know, so it's kind of like just noisy and annoying. But when I was young, my sisters would have said, genuinely would have said, you're going to end up in prison. Like, you know, they'd never experienced a bolder child, you know. Now, I was the only boy in the house, but, you know, there was definite... You know, I can remember never using, we had these stairs in the house and never used the stairs. I jumped from the landing down to the, you know, like just constantly uh, trying to, I don't know if it's related to the dopamine, but just trying to find a better, getting a buzz off everything. Do you know what I mean? So whether that was getting in trouble or whether that was enjoying something, it was better than just being bored and in my own head, you know. And what about later in life then? For, so in terms of a work perspective and, and how did it or did it impact on, on the work that you did? Well, yeah, I mean, I was always very definite that I didn't want an office job, you know, because, you know, when you're young, you're like, office job, boring. You know, in actual fact, I was probably, I probably wouldn't have been able to do an office job. And I was, it was my my intuition telling me to do something else. Um, so I went to college. I studied drama. I studied acting, which I enjoyed, which was good for me. It's a practical thing. I'm up and about. I'm, you know, it's, it's tactile. It's physical, you know, um, and that was fine. Uh, but after college, I didn't know what to do with it. You know, I couldn't I couldn't. I didn't have the tools to kind of put a plan together. I went for two auditions, I think, didn't get them. Uh, another thing of, of uh, ADHD is we're hypersensitive. So I didn't get two auditions I went for. So I kind of gave up okay. trying, even though most actors will go for 100 auditions. And, uh, you know, and, and, but I just thought, well, this, this is not for me. I was, you know, I was very sensitive. So when I was rejected twice, uh, I just kind of knocked that on the head. And I probably then I spent my 20s traveling. I went to London. I traveled a good bit. And if I'm to be honest, I probably self-medicated uh, a lot with whatever to quite like looking back at it now, like to quieten down the mind, my mind and uh, not really knowing that I the way I was feeling was different to other people. So, you know, I would have sort of spent a lot of my 20s in a bit of a hazy fog, you know, um, but managing to travel and see the world and managing to put you know, put money together to go to Australia. Although I would have to say thank you, Suzanne, my wife, who would have been the person who kind of like uh, I I remember my wife. We were living in London. We were planning on traveling. It was a couple of months out. We were due to buy our tickets, and my wife actually marched me up to my bank machine and made me put my card in and said, "How much money do you have in your account?" And I said, "Oh, about two hundred pounds or something." You know, I was supposed to be saving money at this stage. And she put the card in. She said, you don't have 200 pounds. You've got like 20 pounds. I said, yeah, but there's a 200 pound overdraft. Uh, but that was kind of like, I just had no sense of money, uh, planning, uh, the future. And I did want to travel and we, I did want to go to Australia. I did want to go with my wife. And we, I was working and I was earning money and all that and paying my rent and all that kind of stuff. But I just had no sense of urgency with it. Um, a thing with me and other people who have ADHD is you'll, you'll cram for an exam. You'll do everything in the last minute. You'll be brilliant at it. You know, they're very ha handy to have in the workplace. Yep. They might be good planners, but when the doo-doo hits the fan, they'll know, they'll come up with a solution, you know, because they're used to, you know, this kind of stressful. They're always, you know, in that stressful mode. Um, so, yeah, so so we did a bit of travel in my 30s and, and I kind of then got into radio sort of, from having done the acting and the bit of writing in college and I had that and I enjoyed comedy. So myself and my pal Joe were writing comedy sketches 
similar to the fashion stuff we were interested in and that kind of got us into radio so in a weird way like I ended up like radio is great for mm -hmm. someone with ADHD Absolutely, because you're yeah. in the studio there's lights there's buttons there's people there's music <laughs> it it's, flashes yeah yeah and you have to kind of like it and it makes you you're on your on the you're on the ball now I wasn't great at um you know telling the time during the show or like what hour it was you know so there was little specifics but I was but I did enough to kind of I suppose hold down a radio job uh, there was a lot of things I needed to do properly to do that for so long um, and I figured that out as I went along uh, as in like you've got to be getting your sleep you've got to be like my clothes would be folded and on the kitchen table for me to sort of get into as soon as I walked down the stairs and I would have to leave at a certain time and you know like I knew I was I was late I was always late so that had to be dealt with so I was always probably actually the first five years I was still late for the radio show but at one point I kind of fixed that you know so all of these things that you know, could seem like you don't care if you're if you're arriving late for a show that you, that you enjoy doing. Um, it might seem like you don't care about it, but it was just not being able to get your head around organizing yourself to actually leave the house at the right time with all the bits you need. And a lot of leaving the house three times and all that kind of stuff or just not getting up on time because you haven't had enough sleep. Anyway, but I suppose I, I did radio for 20 years. So like the first five were a bit kind of helter-skelter but Joe was a great friend of mine and we got on very well and he was very organised and he kind of probably kept the show on the road and I just sort of uh, did did what I could um, but like I know at the end of the five years uh, we were on Spin 103 out doing the breakfast show I know at the end of those five years um, like looking back on it now I know what happened because I just walked away from that I didn't couldn't really explain to anybody why but I couldn't do it anymore because it took so much effort and energy and whatever because I didn't have everything in my head organized properly. Um, so that show was a bit kind of chaotic for me. And then after five years, I just kind of walked away because I couldn't explain to anybody. I couldn't, I didn't know why I couldn't do it anymore, but I was just done. I was tired. And, and uh, um, unfortunately, I, I walked away from it, you know, which is kind of sad looking back on it now. Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. As ever, you know where we are, realhealthindependent.ie, at Carl Henry PT on Instagram. If you have any questions or requests, do let us know. And don't forget to rate and review. So, Keith, then talk to me about the day then where someone said, you have this. Mm. How does that feel? Um, as I said, like I, I had... I'd, we'd been dealing with Finn, my son, mm -hmm. and organising his school and all that, and the school were brilliant, and you know, and and my wife had started saying to me, kind of, you know, at home, just anything I did, you know, she was like, "That's your ADHD. That's your ADHD." I just became like, you know, ADHD guy around the house, you know, <laughs> and that, so that was kind of like a lot of teasing and fun and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I I kind of started really thinking about it. I didn't even know what it, my only reference to ADHD I don't know if you I mean you'd probably know more about it because you're in that I area. have plenty of touches of it you can ask my own wife and she'll tell you that that's our ongoing joke in our house too right ah, so yeah. yeah okay so there you go <laughs> um, but I remember I think it was um, Kurt Cobain talking about his mother giving him Ritalin and giving out about that because of his ADHD and that was my only kind of reference point so I didn't really know what it was so I wasn't like afraid of anything but I suppose it's not neurotypical you know you're it's a neurodiverse thing and you're different you know so what does that mean like how are you perceived in the world what would people think of you are you um you know do you have um 
I, I don't even want to say what I'm thinking, but like, are people going to look at you differently? Are they going to perceive you to be differently? Or like, is your workplace going to look at you and how, are they going to be concerned about it? So all those things go on in your head. But I didn't really have a, I wasn't worried about it. I was kind of relieved because it could, it just, it made sense. And it, I was able to forgive myself for a lot. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I was able to kind of go back and I'm, that wasn't because of, that wasn't because I'm a bad husband. That wasn't because I'm a bad dad. That wasn't because I'm a bad brother, friend, all that kind of stuff. I was able to sort of forgive myself. There's probably things I did that just, uh, you know, that were just, you know, human and bad and whatever. But for the most part, uh, it, a lot of my stresses and strains and how I behaved was just kind of like trying to deal with the world and deal with my own head and what was going on. And, you know, that search for dopamine and that search for quiet, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. You're looking for dopamine, but you're looking for, to quiet in your head as well. Um, so it was kind of nice to hear it. It was nice to speak to a psychiatrist who kind of knew exactly. It was almost like talking to a fortune teller. I was like, uh, my mind was blown. Um, and also that he he had a plan. He said, I, look, I figured out what it is. Um, and this is what we're going to do. I just it, one of the, the thing he said to me, one of the last things he said to me, my first consultation with him, he said, um, uh, Keith, you found what you're looking for. And what he meant by that was because I sat there talking to him for an hour, going through all the stuff, stuff that I'm talking to you about. Mm -hmm. um, and and I was talking about he he was asking me, I suppose, very pertinent questions, obviously, but I was talking about um, my constant search for a feeling, um, a feeling of calm uh, and trying to deal with this constant anxiety I felt which I now have learned is called, I don't know if this is for an ADHD trait, but there's a thing called free floating anxiety, which you're, you can be very anxious, have a panic attack, and there's no apparent reason for it. Like there's, you're not in a dangerous situation. You're in a place where you feel comfortable and it just, it just lands on you because it's just there. It's part of what you're feeling. It's, 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 it's called free floating anxiety. And I was trying to figure that bit out because, you know, yourself, you work in radio, if you work in television and you're trying to get television gigs. And um, but I but I had this anxiety that I always had to sort of like try and um, uh, I had to sort of beat. So like in a moment on a radio show, I could have a panic attack, but I'd have to try and appear. Yeah, you just you're just battling with it, mm -hmm. you know. So you, you can't leave the room. You've got to continue with. It. You've got to appear like you're. You've got to sound like everything's okay. But in your in your mind, like it's there's a panic. Your mind is screaming at you to get out of there, um, and that can be really unsettling and disconcerting. So I went on this kind of journey, um, trying to find how I could deal with that anxiety, quieten the mind down, deal with the anxiety. Uh, figure out a way where I could be better focused at my work. And that that was everything for from the gym stuff. So I thought, look, I'll, I think it was around my 40s, I said, I'm, that's it, I'm giving up caffeine, I'm going vegan, so I'm giving up all the stuff that's bad for me. Uh, I'm... You ran a marathon. I ran a marathon. Yeah. I think I ran two in the end. Uh, I, I was in the gym every day. But, and I wasn't just in the gym every day. I was, I'd go to the gym I'd be training for the marathon as well. So there'd be like runs I'd have to do, long runs, you know, I'd have a little, my little chart that I'd have to take off. And I was also, I think, playing for a hurling team at the time. And like my, I was on a mission, you know. 
and Suzanne, my wife, would be like, "Are you? Where are you going? Like, I, I was constantly going somewhere to play football, five aside. Like anybody, if someone yeah, it was text distraction, it was all you know, trying to quieten, quieten the mind. The mind. But also, yeah. I was like, oh, the fitter I am, the better I'd be. But I was probably hyper focusing on it as well, and hyper focusing on my own feeling and my own health and my so much stuff going on. You know, just like ridiculously, I was possibly the fittest man in Ireland at one point. You know, I did fit his family. <laughs> at some stage with my I wish could have done it on my own I brought my family <laughs> um, and and then I got into then it was about vitamins so vitamin B was a big thing for me like so 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 B, B12 that's the thing that's the nerve thing isn't it so yeah. make sure I'm topped up with B, B12 okay, so it's one excess after another after another and just listening to you I think what people will, will take from it and, and certainly myself is that the mental health component of it mm. hugely challenging to stay well when dealing with something like that yeah and that's that was a big part of it as well because one of the things I did was I started going to therapy um, thinking these are tr I need to deal with my childhood traumas so I started looking into that so this is where the anxiety has come from it's a, it's a trauma I haven't dealt with I need to I need to go to therapy and, and therapy in fairness was really helpful and I'll always go to therapy um, and even if you have ADHD and even if you get medication even if a psychiatrist says to you you've got you can still be depressed you can still feel down it doesn't it's not it doesn't fix everything and you should always um like i'll go go and see my ther my therapist maybe every six weeks now but i'll mm -hmm. always check in with him i'll always look at i'll always try and meditate i'll always do a bit of journaling i'll always think about my mental health but that was a kind of a big thing for me and it really really helped and it what, so here was the thing that happened with therapy therapy allowed me to give up drinking now i haven't mentioned drinking but i would have drank a lot in my 20s i I didn't really drink as much my 30s, 40s, you know, less and less. And then I was a sort of a weekend drinker. But Friday and Saturday, I liked to drink. And I know now it was self-medicating because I put so much effort into getting through the week. By Friday, six o'clock, I'm having a beer. Um, and that was perfectly fine, you know, for me. And it just got me into weekend mode. I could sit down with my wife. You know, I wasn't looking to go anywhere. We could watch a movie. But I had to have drink to do that. Saturdays I could socialize with people but I had to have drink to socialize because I'm not a small talk guy I'm not I'm not great in social situations I it, there always had to be a drink and I got to a point in therapy where I felt a lot better and I decided to give up drink because this was my final thing mm -hmm. so once I give up the drink I've done everything else I'm fit I'm looking at my nutrition I'm taking the right vitamins I'm going to therapy I'm journaling I'm meditating give up the drink bang I'm sorted a year, two years after giving up the drink, I'm still feeling this free floating anxiety. I'm still getting panic attacks. I was I wrote a play called Pure Mental. I was on stage two nights in, my second night. Rehearsals were great, knew the script inside out. Sort of like ten minutes into my second performance on the second night, I have a panic attack on stage, you know. And in my head I was like like I I was I was so upset. So much was going on. Like you're on a stage, mm -hmm. the place was full, all these faces, all these eyes on you. It's the second night. It's this play that you've written about yourself, about mental health, and explaining your mental health, and you're having a panic attack. And you know, in that moment, first of all, I was upset that I was having the panic attack after you know this shouldn't be happening. 
I'm continuing with the work, like one part of my brain is just continuing to perform and walk over here and do the lines and do it. And this panic attack just is, is, is ongoing. And it's like, get off the stage screaming at me, you know. And I just knew at that point, I said, if I walk off the stage now, I'll never get back on it. And I just had to sort of like, keep, I'm sure it wasn't my best performance, um, but I just had to keep going, try and breathe through it, tell myself it was going to be okay, nothing bad was going to happen. And I managed to sort of ride that out, but it meant that I was about to start like a, I was leaving Newbridge and I was going around the country and I had 14 nights to do. So I had 14 nights of a play to do with this thing in the back of my head, am I going to have a panic attack on stage? And that was a real fear, you know? So so the next two, three weeks was spent like trying to pinpoint what it was that made me have that panic attack that day. Did I forget to take my, my, my vitamins? Did I? Like, it's just so tiring now that I'm talking about it. I'd say it's exhausting to listen to it. Do you know what I mean? You're a very patient man. Well, the story's fascinating. <laughs> and, and, you know, I would think we'll have lots of listeners who are listening thinking, okay, who can recognize that? Now, myself listening, I can recognize loads of those because my, my my podcast team will tell you they can recognize loads of them in me too because they have to put up with me. Um, what would you say to people then? That's my final question for you. People who are listening in, uh, who recognize you know some of those symptoms who maybe haven't done anything about it what would what do you say to them look there's no harm in just go and and, and find out about it do a bit of research um it's it, it, it can be expensive um and you, you but if you talk to a psychiatrist a lot of them will say look you know you can pay it off monthly or whatever it doesn't have to be expensive there is you, you can go uh, i think cams are very good for children as well and you can go public as well it takes a long time but in the meantime you can do your own research um, look into it. I mean, like, like I only got here to this point because of all those years of searching for something. Um, and I'm all I'm all about trying to better yourself. Now, some people might say, how does that better yourself? You find out you've ADHD. Sure, that's worse. But for me, that's better because I can deal with it. I, I know where that free floating anxiety is coming from. I can talk to my psychiatrist. We now have a plan. He's like, this is what we're going to do with this. This is what we're going to do with this. And in a year, you should feel this. And I'm like, I've ADHD I love a plan do you know what I mean <laughs> um, so just look into it do a bit of reading there's loads of podcasts out there um, there's a great episode coming up on the uh, Carl Henry podcast <laughs> um, podcasts are very popular to say the least so uh, if people want to f kind of find out more about you the story and you know just generally the work that you do where can, where can they find you well they can just follow me on Instagram I'm, I'm Keith Walsh on Instagram I don't know if there's that many there's a solicitor guy an Irish solicitor called Keith Walsh I'm not him okay uh, so I'm on <laughs> Instagram I'm on social media you can, you can find me easily and uh, yeah just follow me and I, I, I sometimes talk about it it's difficult as you know yourself uh, even with the mental health I like to talk about you know going to therapy because I think it encourages other mm -hmm. people absolutely uh, but you don't want to be that guy either and I, you know you don't want to be the therapy guy or the ADHD guy but I do talk well the more people talk about stuff the better because people listen in and they can get some solace from yeah. it which is fantastic thank you for coming in it's been great to catch up uh, it was a conversation I heard you have with somebody and I, I, I rang Tab and I said we have to have him on it's really interesting and I think people will love it and this, it is it's fascinating so very much appreciated for coming into our studio thanks very much thanks very much Carl folks that's it for another episode of Real Health with me Carl Henry in association with Leia Healthcare as ever you know where we are Real Health at independent.com at Henry PT on Instagram and we'll see you next week for more real health it's long ago Leia Healthcare looking after you always proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry